Let's open our Bibles today to the book of uh, the book of John, chapter six. Last night in the service, this young pastor uh, dropped by, and he has a church in Virginia. And he said, "You know, I I heard you speak in Massachusetts about eight years ago on prayer, and I know your church is a church of prayer." And he said, "You know, I have so many burdens in my life. I." have five girls, and I just adopted three boys. Wow. That took my breath away. Um, and he said, you know, I was driving down to Virginia, and I got to Carlisle, and I said, I'm going over to library because I want to pray in that church. I need God in my life in a greater way than I've had him before. And so uh, he and I had a wonderful, wonderful time of prayer together last night. A young guy uh, trying to face not only the church, but all the other responsibilities he has. Uh, but uh, I was thinking, if you come to this church and you miss, you miss out on what this prayer thing is all about, you've really missed it. Uh, that's, that's what we teach. That's what we one of our missionaries was here about three weeks ago, Dave Dederick, and he told Kenny, he says, I learned to pray in this church. He's a missionary in Mozambique. In uh, John chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to do a little bit of gleaning this morning. Not cleaning, but gleaning. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. The word signs is a very interesting uh, word. It's uh, one of the three words that, that are used in the New Testament uh, for miracles. Whenever you see signs, wonders, or miracles, it's essentially the same thing. But a sign is something that points somewhere. You know, when you drive down the road and you see a sign, it's pointing you some direction or giving you some special message. Uh, a great multitude of people rallied around him because uh, he was uh, UPMC and uh, all wrapped up into one and more. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And it's interesting as you read through the New Testament how many times Jesus tried to get away from the people. Now he was impelled to go to the people, but you know, even Jesus in his uh, being the God slash man that he was, uh, had to rest himself. He became weary and he became tired and he became burdened and emotionally uh, so involved. And he needed to uh, get away and uh, clear his head, if, if I could be so brash to say that this morning. And Jesus went up into the mountain. The crush of people was coming against him. Verse 4, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Uh, Jesus really found it hard to resist the multitude of people. They followed him. They hunted him down. He went away, and they, uh, they figured out how to track him down. Verse 6, but this is, this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. It's interesting as you read through the book of John, you see the omniscience of Jesus. He knew things in advance. Of course, he knows all things. And, and it's stated so many times in the Bible, he knew 
these things, but he elicited, uh, evoked a response from people, from his disciples, and here it was Philip. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient. Some of your Bibles are, uh, have uh, $200, uh, three quarters of a year's wages for a common man. Uh, he says it's a lot of money and we don't have that many. And even if we had that much money, it just would be a small portion for the people here. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves. It's interesting. I read that barley uh, was almost the food for uh, the poorest class of people. Uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even eat it. They would give the, the barley to the animals. But here we find that Jesus takes what uh, is so base and so low and exalted to such a high place. There was a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Uh, but uh, what they are uh, uh, was so many. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. If you were here two weeks ago, I told you that uh, that this is just the men. Uh, this is a miracle of fifteen to 20,000 people. And if you can visualize that in your mind's eye, uh, some of you can only visualize it in hockey terms. Uh, the arena down there, you can figure that place is filled. That's, that's what Jesus was dealing uh, with it. He took the loaves, and uh, when he had given thanks, he distributed it. And here we get the, uh, one of the premises in the Bible for giving thanks before we eat. Uh, the blessing, we call it. Sometimes it's real elementary. When you ask the kids to pray, they have this little one-liner, one you know, and, uh, and then they get on with it. But Jesus here set the precedent. Uh, they gave thanks. He distributed them to his disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And this is, this is a pattern in the Bible. Jesus gives to his disciples and then his disciples give to the people. That's what our church is about. Uh, the Lord gives to you and you give to the people. Uh, whenever you go out from this church, you're a missionary from this church to the people. And everywhere you go, you are to distribute what Jesus gave you. Not what you don't have, but simply what he gave you to give. And that's what happened right here. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet. Now this is interesting because this is an Old Testament reference right here. The prophet. People in that day were looking for the Messiah. But they were also looking for a man called the prophet. And here they identified him. Hey, we've found the prophet who has come into the world. And when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him the king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus didn't want to be a king. There was not time for that now. And so I want to direct you to your notes this morning. What is the point of our lesson today? Well, Jesus proves once again his ability to provide. I said to you two weeks ago that John, in, his, in the gospel, took eight miracles that Jesus performed to prove his point. And the point uh, of the book of John is given to us 
in John 20, verse 30 and 31. And it goes like this. And many other miracles did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Boy, that's an understatement. Many other miracles did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book of John. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah slash Son of God, and that believing in him, you might have life through his name. Uh, for those who like theological things, uh, the book of John is, uh, is evangelistic and it's apologetic. Uh, he gives reasons to believe. Isaiah said in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Well, our Lord's ministry uh, in a harmony of the Gospels, which I mentioned to you before, if you have a New Living Translation of the Bible, uh, right after the book of John, uh, in that translation of the Bible, we have what is called a chronology of Christ's life or a harmony of the Gospels. And the authors of that Bible list the ministry of Christ under 250 events chronologically. This event happened here. This event happened here. Now, the one that we're talking about this morning is event number 96. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Event number 95 was the death of John the Baptist. Well, the big attraction to Jesus, of course, in his ministry was his miracles. Remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to him and said, Listen, we know who you are. No man can do these miracles except God be with him. And so uh, these miracles were having an impact. They were drawing people to Christ. And uh, when people came to Christ, he was trying to show them who he really was. And so our, we see here in the passage this morning that Jesus confronts impossible situations. There's no place to get food. That's an impossibility. Uh, Jesus was testing his disciples. And uh, this is where we were, remember, two weeks ago? I know that's a long time to remember, isn't it? Two weeks ago, this is kind of like where we cut it off. Jesus is testing his disciples. And I said to you that Jesus is always testing his disciples. If you are a disciple of the Lord, Jesus is testing you. He's not tempting you because, because remember, we differentiated between what a temptation is and what a test is. A temptation is a solicitation to do evil. Jesus will never do that. He always leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Uh, but he tests us to strengthen us, to make us better. Our whole life is a test. And so he tested his disciples. And I said to you before that in Luke chapter 9, one of the other accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, the, most of the disciples said this, and I quote, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provision." For we are in a deserted place. Now, I think that his disciples flunked the test. But I also think Philip did too. Uh, there are different levels of testing. There really are. Uh, why did Jesus draw out Philip to just name him? There are different levels of testing. In our church, there are different levels of testing. As soon as you accept Christ as your Savior, get ready. The tests are coming to you. Uh, God teaches you a biblical principle and then he tests you to see if you got it or not. And if you have it, then he moves you on to something else. And uh, once you have that, he gives you another test. It's just like school, you know. 
Uh, you go to school, the teacher teaches, okay, test is on Friday. I just want to see if you got anything. You're sitting around daydreaming. In church, it's the same way. You know, we come to church and you sit there and you affirm what we're talking about, or you read the Bible and you affirm it, and you say, okay, I got it. And then the Lord says, let, let me just really see if you do have it or not. Uh, you got to be tested. And so uh, there are different levels of testing in the church. When you first start out, the tests are easy. You know, it's the ABC, Dick and Jane. And then it gets hard as you grow in God. And the older you grow, the tests get harder and harder and harder. They really do. And some of you are sitting here in your heart this morning and you're saying, oh, man, I know what you're talking about. Uh, James 1, 3. We have that this morning. Let's read this together. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. What is God trying to do with you? I know sometimes, I remember years ago when I first surrendered my life to serve the Lord, I just wanted to do something, you know, just give me a direction, God. I, I, I'm an involved kind of person. If you have a project, I, I want to be involved in it. If you need somebody, I want to raise my hand. I want to be a volunteer. Uh, but, uh, you know, and that makes us feel good, like we're making some progress. But God's main goal in our life is to change our character. Gulp. You know, it's easy to do something. It's harder to get your character changed. Actually, what he wants to do is change you from the person you are into another person the person he wants you to be. Because before you are saved, you are not the person God wants you to be. Your father is the devil, uh, and you have followed his plan and purpose in the world, and God has a whole new direction for your life. And so in order for you to understand that whole new direction, he has to do surgery on your heart, and he has to change you from what you are into what he wants you to be. And that's a lifelong change. You know, you come to church and you say, okay, I've changed a little bit. God's not satisfied with that. You might say, boy, you should, you should, you should see how I used to be. I'll tell you, God has a plan for what he wants you to be. And so here the Bible says that God wants to create in you endurance. Uh, he wants to grow you and he wants to develop you so that you can be strong in character. And what's the last statement there ready for what because you know only people of character can really go with class to the end of the race only person with character people with character people are who, who are open to God the whole time and don't get tripped up along the way but surrender to God's character change in our life now, I know a lot of people, I've had people say to me, you know, Pastor, I don't really want God to change my character. I like myself the way I am. Uh, that's pride. Uh, there are some people that are, that are very smart and they're very quick and they're, they're entrepreneurial and they're really cool and all that stuff and they like themselves that way. But, you know, God has something else in heart. He's, he does, he's majors in heart surgery. And he takes people like that who are essentially proud and he humbles them. And it's so neat to see somebody that 
really like themselves this way, surrender to God's proposition in their life, to accept what God wanted them to become. Boy, that hurts sometimes because God takes away things from us that we, that we want to hold on to. And so uh, I think Philip failed the test here because he looked at the problem through the world's lens. Uh, he looked for a human solution. The Lord says here, look at verse 5. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And, the, and the, he said this to test him. And Philip didn't come back and say, listen, well, Sam Club, Sam's Club's right down the road here. He started computing. He had his computer out, and he said, oh, I see. Wait a minute, Lord. I'm figuring this thing out. Uh, and so that's our propensity. Whenever we come to a problem, what, what do we do? We flex our muscles. We call our friends. We know an important person that can intervene on our behalf, and we try to work out the whole deal from our human perspective. Uh, I think Philip failed the test. I think especially he failed the test in light of all the things he, he had already seen. I go back to the harmony of the Gospels right now. And you're going to go out and buy one of those Bibles, aren't you? We have them in the office back here. You go buy them. Because you're wanna, you want to have that the chronology. Uh, I think of what he had already seen. Event number 90, listen to this. Event number 90, Jesus heals the blind man. Event number 89, Jesus restores a woman to health and then raises a girl from the dead. Event number 88, Jesus casts demons out. So it would seem to me that whenever Jesus tested Philip, probably the right response would have been, Lord, this feeding of the 5,000 is really nothing for your capabilities. I don't have to mess with my computer here. All you have to do is what? Speak the word, right? And I guess then and the Lord would say, hey, Philip, you're getting it, man. You're getting it. Now, let's not be hard on Philip in the church today, okay? Let's not beat him up. Because, you know, the Lord tests all of us, and we all fail. Let's say it together. We all fail. Does that feel good to confess it and to acknowledge it? We do fail. But, you know, the Lord is just so great, he just keeps coming back and giving us another chance and... He works with us. He picks us up. He dusts us off. He said, listen, you didn't do very good on that. You're not learning very well. Uh, he is so patient with us. Uh, Hebrews 5.12 says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Uh, that's a sad commentary on some people in the church and in the church at large. You know, there are some people that have been believers a long time and they're just, they haven't passed very many tests. Uh, they should be way far advanced from where they are, but they're not. Uh, God is trying to build our faith. And 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. Walking by faith is implementing God's solutions in our life. And the next thing I want to bring to your attention today is this. Um, there was this boy who brought what he had, Andrew, one of his disciples. He went out and found this little boy who had this lunch. And I don't know, I, and you can't conjecture, you know, people who teach are filled with conjecture. That means they like to make up facts rather than uh, accept the facts that are there. 
But maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Andrew grabbed this little kid and says, listen, I need your lunch, kid. I, I, that's not in here, but I like to think about that. He says, dragging him up to the Lord, you know, by his collar and said, hey, listen, I found somebody that's got something here. Uh, that probably didn't happen, but it's interesting to think about it. Anyway, the Bible says they found this little boy with his lunch and, and, uh, Andrew, he really knew how to bring people to Jesus because he, he brought his brother Peter, right? And that wasn't a bad catch, was it? And you know, that's what we're doing in our church. We're bringing people to Christ. We really are. Little kids, listen to this, little kids with their lunch. That's what we're going after. Little kids with their lunch. Uh, our Saturday night service is a wonderful time. Uh, last night, Matt Evans helped me, and Zach Feltz. How many people know either one of those kids? Matt Evan and Zach Feltz. Matt is 19 years of age, and I guess he just finished his first year of college. He grew up in the church. Zach, Zach is 17. I don't know what grade he's in, but he's kind of like a brilliant kid. So they were here last night helping me. They were my assistants in the Saturday night service. And every Saturday night service, we, we get down here and we pray across the front of the altar. So here I am. I'm there. Matt's here. Zach's there. Boy, my heart was really touched. Matt prayed and then Zach prayed. Zach's 17 years old. And he says, dear God, we really do love you. We're bringing kids and their lunches to Jesus. Do you think Jesus could use that boy with his little lunch? Boy, you better believe it, man. Do you think Jesus could use a guy like Matt? You better believe it. You might say, they just really don't have a whole lot to offer. Listen, uh, when you just boil it all down, we don't, all of us don't have a whole lot to offer. Uh, but Jesus delights in finding somebody who will surrender their lunch. And, uh, and a lot of times we're so paralyzed. Uh, we're so paralyzed. Uh, we use the word if, you know, Lord, if I have more time, if I have more talent, if I, uh, if I have more money, Lord, I give to you. Listen, God's, uh, God's not interested in that. He just wants your lunch, that's all. He just wants what you have. He doesn't want you to give what I have or isn't. He just wants what you have. And so that's what we're, we're in business for in the church. We're trying to draw people into this church and say, hey, listen, give what you have to God. We shouldn't be ashamed to do that. You know that? We shouldn't be ashamed to do that. Uh, and, uh, boy, they were getting it here. Look at verse number 14. And those men, when they had seen the sign, the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Uh, they said, listen, we're getting this. Uh, they believed that he was the prophet. Now, I think we have this up here. Deuteronomy 18. Let's read this together. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now, these are the words of Moses right here. Moses says, one of these days, God's going to raise up a prophet like me, Moses, out of your midst, and you are going to listen to him. And so, they saw in Jesus the fulfillment of this prophecy by Moses. Here we have found somebody like Moses. Moses, remember, fed the people in the wilderness for how long? 
40 days, or 40, 40 years. Um, and then he led the people out of Egyptian bondage. And so Jesus had just fed them and they had said, this is like Moses. Now Jesus is going to lead us out of bondage, bondage from the Romans. And so they tried to make him king. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two streams of prophecy, and they are the conquering king and the suffering Messiah. And this is, this is so important for us to remember because, because these people who saw Jesus, they saw in him the conquering king. Remember the Bible says they wanted to, to make him the king? They saw him his kingly character. But they didn't see his suffering Messiah character. But in the Old Testament, there are two streams of ancient prophecy. Uh, Jeff and Arlene Berg, uh, they're missionaries to the Jews, and they gave me a little track, two streams of uh, ancient prophecy, the king and the, the suffering Messiah. I sent it to my Jewish doctor. He's 93, I told you that before. He's a wonderful guy. I love him. I love him. And uh, he sent me a letter the other day. He said, your test came out good. <laughs> and so I pray for him. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm praying for more than uh, my test and uh, his good health. I'm praying for uh, his spiritual connection to God. Uh, but uh, I'm showing it. And uh, when you get a track like that, it shows all the scriptures about the suffering Messiah, all the scriptures about the conquering king, and you see it clearly. Uh, which one of these streams would you be focusing on if you lived during that time? Uh, you'd be focusing on um, the conquering king, right? You, weren't, you wouldn't be interesting in a suffering Messiah. They saw him as the reigning lion of Judah. How many people here have seen the Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, the, the film? Okay, it's a lot of you guys. Uh, the second one is better. I could, the first time I saw the first one, I couldn't understand it, but I'm slow in those things. Uh, but the second one is better. But the, the primary, uh, the star, if there is, the star in the thing is the, is the lion, Aslan. Uh, he's the lion god of Narnia. He's the central character. Uh, and, uh, of course, he represents Christ in the movie. You know, he comes on the scene and everybody goes, yeah, here he is. Whoa. But, you know, in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says that Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he has prevailed. In the very next verse, he is the, the Lamb of God. And that's, we, you know, we have this little song that we sing up here. He's the Lion and the Lamb. And you sit out there and say, what is that all about? I understand he's the Lamb, but I never heard this Lion part before. Uh, he's both. He's the conquering King. He's the Lion. He's the suffering Messiah. He's the Lamb. And so these people saw him as the king. Jesus rejected that idea because he came, first of all, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They tried to make him the king, and he said, listen, that's later, not now. And then he brings up the most, uh, one of the most important things. Verse 27, leaf over there, and we'll stop here. Do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life. He says, what you need is everlasting life. And the only way that they could have everlasting life is not to jump on, not to jump on uh, the train of the king, 
but to kneel at the foot of the Lamb. And uh, he said, listen, you need everlasting life. Uh, verse 28, and they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? You know, every time the subject of everlasting life comes up, people say, what shall we do? And, and we know the answer to that, right? There's nothing you can do to get everlasting life. But Jesus said, listen, I'll tell you what you can do. Look at it. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. Jesus said, I'll give you everlasting life if you just believe in me. Well, listen, that's a whole lot more than just saying yes to just acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ. Before I committed my life to Christ, I knew that Jesus, I knew that Jesus was God. I knew the Bible was true. Uh, I knew that the events in Scripture were for, for real. Uh, but uh, believing in Jesus Christ means more than just mentally going along with a program. Because James, as you know, James 2.19 says, You believe in God, you, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. Real true belief involves repentance and faith. Uh, turning from our sins, turning to Christ. And it's given to us throughout the New Testament. It really is. Uh, Acts 5.31, the Bible says God gave repentance to Israel and then forgiveness of sins. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we come to acknowledge his lordship in our life and, and we turn away from our sins. And by, when we turn away from our sins, we acknowledge our sins and we ask him to forgive us of our sins because he's the only one who can. Uh, I had a wonderful experience uh, this last week. I met a guy uh, out, uh, out and about and and uh, we were in the midst of a lot of people. And he said, listen, he started to just share his life with me. And I said, listen, you, you need the Lord. He, says, I, I, he said, maybe I need another church. And I said, no, you don't need that right now. You need God in your life. And uh, in the middle of all these people that were around us, he prayed to receive Christ as a Savior. And I'll tell you what, he repented of his sins. And he said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. And after he prayed, this is what he said. He said, I feel a burden lifted. And that's what we're supposed to feel, a burden lifted. Uh, and so uh, Jesus said, listen, you believe in me? That's what everlasting life is all about. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, uh, I'd like for you to uh, digest what we've been talking about today. Uh, Jesus uh, proves to us that he is God and that he came not to be the king uh, but to be the suffering Messiah uh, to die upon the cross for your sins and my sins. Let's thank him this morning and, um, and let's go out this week as the church and, and let's take what God's given to you and give it to someone else, okay? Uh, don't go through a week without sharing what God's given you with someone else. Uh, distribute what he's broken and given to you and, and go out and find some little kid or some adult with a lunch and say, listen, I've got something you can give this to. I've got somebody you can give this to. You can give it to the Lord. Don't be embarrassed about that. Dear Lord, we pray that you'll move among us right now. Just bless us as we conclude our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.